Well, good morning. Uh, we are not in Louisiana anymore, is what I told Mary Lynn this morning. And I can tell because it snowed heavily last night, and folks are here. So it's good to be together in the midst of all this. Thank you for being a part of this. Um, I'm excited about what the Lord has for us, and I'm glad that we get to do this together as God's people. Our call to worship is from Psalm 105. I love these psalms because these are the prayers, if you will, the hymns of the Old Testament. And they're a way to shape our heart, our thinking, our lives. So let's read responsively here and let the Word of God set the pace for the morning. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. All of His wonderful deeds. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our first hymn this morning is number 224. Join me as you're able. Let's sing, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Echo those same words from the psalm. Amen. And have a seat, if you would, please. Well, as each Sunday, I welcome you. It's a marvel to be gathered as God's people, to worship, to reflect on His promises, 
And I'm thankful as well that we have the opportunity to take what God is doing here and share it across the live stream or the recorded version. Thank you for opening your space and being a part of what God is doing here. I love how the Holy Spirit moves across all boundaries and barriers so we can be together. A couple of things. Uh, after the service, we will gather for coffee fellowship, and I think I'm going to take a break this Sunday from our usual question and answer, the time together afterwards. So let's just enjoy the time together. We'll be together after the service. A couple of things we have slides for that I want to point out to you. One, this is the deadline for our summer Honduras mission trip. If you have some questions or want to know more about it and uh, consider being a part, uh, call the office, make sure you have this opportunity to be a part of what God is doing through the mission trip. Um, be praying for this Friday night, we continue a Heart Awake historical ministry function. Uh, this is a gathering for uh, middle schoolers. I remember when I first got here, I was anxious to see and experience what it's like to have five to six hundred middle schoolers on a Friday night in the anchor. And I lived to tell the tale. Now, we're not having five or six hundred, but again, we're reaching out into the community. And so be praying for Nate and for his staff and for all that they'll be doing with fun function. Another thing, we are hiring for Great Escape. This summer, our Neighbors Plus Ministry will be doing a day camp, and we have opportunity to hire some uh, people to work with that. An ideal target is a late high school, early college who are building a resume to uh, look at education and that sort of thing. So if you'd like to know more, it's on our website. You can see those kind of things. What I'm very excited to talk about as well is partnership here at Hardawike. When you come to Hardawike, we welcome anyone and everyone. But there'll be a calling on some people to step into covenant partnership, membership, and to be a part of what God is doing. You support things with your prayers, with your finances, by volunteering. Well, this Wednesday, this is a photo from this Wednesday's Jams uh, and Cadets. It was a minute to win it, where we set up a number of games, needed to staff those with volunteers, and kids and their parents got to be a part of this. It was a combined activity of gems and cadets, that's elementary age. And in the variety of things that we do with those ages on Wednesday night, this night, this Wednesday, the goal was participation with parents, it was invite new friends, and it was have fun. We had about 180 people involved with this, over 90 kids. 21 of the people who made this possible were one-time volunteers, folks who maybe can't give every Wednesday night but could step in then. A typical Wednesday night, and I'm kind of letting you know some of the things that usually happen here, there's 40 gems in the um, young ladies' ministry. There's 50 cadets or so in the young men's ministry, elementary school age. 12 GEMS leaders, and we always send Jane Bosco to help with music. Uh, 10 cadet leaders it takes uh, to help pull this off with the boys, 12 with the GEMS. The mission here at uh, um, Heart of Wyke is to give everybody, help them connect with the place that you can serve and grow in the Lord. When we do that, here's the kind of thing that happens. We have happy Hardawike volunteer ministries. This is 
Meredith celebrating what it means to take care of 90 kids with a full staff of volunteers. That's the way we like it. Um, at Heart Awake, our vision is to invite everyone to join us in the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus Christ. For elementary and gems, cadets, kids, we're anxious for them to see that Heart Awake is a great place to be. We want them to hear about the gospel of God's grace, and it's a great place to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. This past Wednesday, for celebration folks in particular, it was a part of being formed by Christ and learning to serve others, both kids and families. So one of the joys of being a part of Heart Awake is that you get to be a part of that. Another opportunity, I'm gonna ask Dawn to come up uh, right now, is a ministry that we do with um, elementary schools, the Lakeside. I'm going to ask Dawn to just come up. I want you to see her, get to know her. This is the person you would talk with. Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to be here this morning. I'm glad you can enjoy the people that I enjoy. Um, should we play the video first? Sounds good. Okay, that'd be great. At Kids Hope USA, we believe that all kids matter to Jesus and that the local church, the community of believers, is uniquely called to care for and invest in kids' lives. Through a proven school-based mentoring program in partnership with the church, a Kids Hope USA mentor steps up one hour each week to make a difference in the life of a child. This one-on-one -on -one attention can be transformative for a student needing the support of another caring and consistent adult in their life. Through the power of mentoring, kids build resilience and a brighter future, and mentors deepen their faith and commitment to community. Join us in this meaningful mission to serve children in your community through your church's Kids Hope USA program, because there's a child wanting to spend time with you. Morning. For those who don't know me, I am Dawn Housecamp, and I have the privilege of being the Kids Hope Director here at Heart Awake um, through Neighbors Plus. Today, I would like to share a short story with you. I have titled it, I think, A Calling, or To Be Called, or Just Simply Called. It's about three kids, a second grader at Lakeshore Elementary, a middle schooler, at Harbor Lights Middle School and a former Kids Hope student who is now um, in college. A few weeks ago at a Wednesday night community night, the second grader asked me with his mouth full of food, when will my new bodyguard start? I was puzzled. I, what is he talking about? And then I got it. He was referring to his Kids Hope mentor, a new mentor that was chosen just for him. And I said, you know what, Dom? It's not a bodyguard, it's a mentor. But you know what, like a bodyguard, she will always have your back. At that same table, the middle schooling, hearing our conversation, blurts out, do you know what I call my kid's hope mentor? I call her my antidepressant. When I see her, I smile, and she always makes me happy. 
Now, the recent West Ottawa College graduate, Leah, is a new Kids Hope mentor this year. At this time, I don't specifically know what her child calls her, but I do know that Leah was called to be a mentor. You see, Leah was in Kids Hope while she was in elementary school. She had an amazing mentor and a great role model. Road model. A mentor who was funny, taught her many games, the mentor never liked to lose, and always came with candy. That mentor was our dear friend, Mary Van Denen. Sadly, um, excuse me, I think I have to go back. Um, Leah felt called to reach out to me this fall to become a Kids Hope mentor, to give back to a child what Mary had given to her. Leah is thriving in her new role as a Kids Hope mentor and hopes one day to become a teacher. Sadly, Mary never knew the impact she had on mentoring Leah before she passed away. As Kids Hope mentors, we may never see the difference we make, but we certainly make a difference. And in Mary and Leah's case, Mary planted the seed in Leah, which continues to grow today. So that's why I'm sharing this story with you. Our school is asking for eight more members, mentors, people who are willing to walk alongside a child, play, read, do a craft, or maybe even throw a football. It's simple, really, just to be a friend. The time commitment is only 45 minutes to one hour. You'll be trained and well-supported as you faithfully serve a precious child. I wonder, are you feeling called to plant a seed that will bear fruit in the future? Please let me know if you are interested. You will be joining a family of approximately 27 other mentors who are mentoring children um, this year at, Great, or excuse me, at Harbor Lights Middle School and Lakeshore Elementary. Um, I'll be happy to answer your questions. You can reach me by calling the office or emailing me at dawn at hardawake.com. Thank you. Tom, thank you. We're happy to provide oversight, support, training, encouragement, but there's a need in the schools, and God has called his people to be a part of meeting that. Part of what it means to be found in and formed by and following Christ is we'll discover his gifting for us, his calling on us, and step by step to the course of life. He'll use us, whether it's minute to win it or um, kids hope, God uses regular folks. This is the faith that we live by day by day. Let's stand together and confess that same faith as we use the words of the Apostles' Creed. We've been doing this the month of January, our last time to reflect on this great statement. Together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in, believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, 
that is the true Christian church of all times and all places, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen and amen. Our hymn, Remain Standing, is number 618, Spirit of God Who Dwells Within My Heart. and have a seat. We'll turn to the Lord in prayer. And then after the Lord's prayer, uh, we'll have a time with the kids and the video for all of us together. Um, let's pray. Let's pursue God. Father, we thank you that you've opened the doorway by your grace through your son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, quicken our hearts and minds to hear your call and to enter in by grace, through our faith, to receive all that you have called us to as adopted children of the great Creator King. You've loved us. You'll equip us and have us to join your great work on planet Earth. Father, we pray for Hardwike Ministries. We set this time aside for intercession for the ministry here. We pray for council meeting on Monday. For the classes meeting on Thursday, I'll be a part of that specifically for Neighbors Plus as they're hiring for Great Escape, for our student ministry where I'll be speaking on Monday and Wednesday evenings as well, for our children's ministry as we saw their good work on this past Wednesday, 
for Becky and for all of her leaders on Sundays and Wednesdays. Father, we thank you that you've called people like Becky and Nate and myself, but you haven't called us simply to do ministry on behalf of your people. You've called us to lead and equip your people in your ministry. And so guide us in fresh seasons of renewal and service and hope. We pray for our sister community, Watershed, and for Pastor Aaron. We pray for Fusion and Pastor JB, and in a few hours for Pastor Florencio and Mission, which will gather in this very space. We thank you for the ministry of Jeffrey Hoff in Muskegon with Angel Community Church as we continue to pray and partner with them. But most of all in this moment, Father, we would pray for the people that you've gathered and called as celebration. Teach us to be a people who rejoice and weep in all the things we face in life, but to do that together. Thank you, Father, that as you are at work within us to invite and to welcome and in this way together grow in you. Give us open hearts and minds to share and to serve, to encourage, to dig deep into your words, to pray together. And here, all our separate prayers in this moment. We pray for those who are sick or have a hard diagnosis, who are in recovery or um, just whatever they're dealing with, but for physical, emotional, spiritual ailments of the body. We pray in this moment. Pray for those specifically you know in your circle of relationships. Father, we thank you that you will turn our mourning into dancing. After a year of loss, I've been very aware that this is now a year of anniversaries, as it were. And so we thank you that you hold beginning and end in your hands. Help us to walk with you and make the journey through its high points and its low points. We pray for those who struggle and grieve, for those who press forward in your grace, for those we walk with. Pray for those who feel isolated or grieving or hard-pressed by name in the silent sanctuary of your heart. Father, we live in a challenging and confusing moment. I've been painfully aware of that. So we pray for those you've placed in authority over us in our regular cycle, we pray for those, the level of the state of Michigan. And so we name uh, Governor Whitmer, Attorney General uh, Nessel, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. For those who represent us from this area in the State House, Mary Whitford, Jim Lilly, Bradley Slom, and State Senator Roger Victory. We ask, Father, that you bless the land with the rule of law and with shalom wholeness. That means security and justice for all. Father, we grieve as we see brokenness and violence in the land. We remember uh, Dr. King's statement that injustice for one affects all. And so we pray, Father, as we, together we pursue uh, shalom and wholeness in the land, justice and righteousness and peace. Work in us as your people, salt and light in this moment.
Father, we pray for the kingdom that goes forward, for those who bring good news, cross-cultural workers, translators, church planters, people who enter closed countries through medicine, education, business opportunities. We pray for that day when every tribe and tongue will hear the gospel of the kingdom and Christ will return to complete its work. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the center and hope of our life and faith. Borrowing from the words of Scotty Smith, I'd close our prayer in this way. Jesus, you are the clearest expression of hope and joy in our lives. We see the clear expression of our sinfulness and foolishness in that we look to mere people and things that you have made to fill our lives with security, joy, and peace. We thank you for already forgiving us in the gospel of your grace. Keeping, please keep freeing us by that same gospel we ask. By your grace, you have already given us a new heart. Keep filling it with yourself day by day and minute by minute. Holy Spirit, please open the eyes of our hearts so that we may see that everything true, good, and beautiful that we may experience in this life is just a whisper, a prelude, a foretaste of the life we will enjoy forever in your new heaven and new earth. Thank you that it starts right here, right now with you, Jesus, your grace and hope. Guide and encourage, heal and fill, send us out. But as a people established on a foundation of Christ, expressed in prayer as we pray together these words. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, good. At this moment, I'm going to ask Miss Janet if she'd bring kids that are with her, others of you that would like to come and join us on the front row, get a good access to the video. Here we go. Um, now's the moment to come forward and be a part of that. Very good. Boy, I can see you. It's a tough morning early, isn't it? There we go. Thank you. All right. We're well set. This morning in the video, we're going to see a guy who starts as a 12-year-old, and it's your chance to. King Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, was only 12 years old when he became king. He was very different from his father, doing all sorts of evil things. He led the people to worship false gods and even built an altar to Baal inside the temple of God. Things got so bad that God brought the Assyrian army against Manasseh. They put a hook in his nose and led him away to the city of Babylon as a prisoner. In his suffering, Manasseh humbled himself and prayed to God. God was moved by his prayer and allowed Manasseh to be set free and return home. For a few years, things began to improve, and the Israelites began to follow God again. They even discovered the book containing all of the laws of Moses, which had been lost for many years. The people learned once again what it was like to live in God's ways. 
But soon, things got much, much worse. The kings who ruled over Judah once again led the people away from God. Then one day, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, attacked the Israelites, nearly destroying the temple Solomon had built. He captured almost all of the Israelites, including the best warriors, workers, and artists, and sent them to Babylon. Only a few of the poorest Israelites were allowed to stay to take care of the fields. God sent two prophets, Jeremiah, to those left in Jerusalem, and Ezekiel to those living in Babylon. Unfortunately, the news was bad. Because they had done so much evil, God allowed the city of Jerusalem, their home, to be almost completely destroyed and the rest of the Israelites sent to Babylon. But the prophet Ezekiel told the Israelites living in Babylon that God would not forget about them, that God would one day rescue and restore them. God even gave Ezekiel a vision that he was standing in a valley full of bones. There was a rattling sound and the bones began to come together and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Finally, God had Ezekiel command the breath of life to enter the bodies and they came to life. God told Ezekiel the meaning of the vision. These bones are the whole house of Israel. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am God. So in the middle of difficult times, I mean, Jerusalem was crushed. Archaeologists who go back and look for Jerusalem, all they find of that time is ash. It's that bad, the crushing. But in the midst of it, there's hope. And that's the good news that no matter what's broken, God has a way to fix and restore. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for the hope that you have given us that when we fall short or our world is broken, you are at work to bring good things. Use us in that regard. Be with these kids and with those who care for them. Teach them. Help us all share life together in Christ. For we pray in your mighty name. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Alrighty. I'm happy for you all to head off. And we'll head to various classes. Others, if you want to join them, go right ahead. All right. Well, if you're reading with us in the story, that kind of summary, edited uh, New International Version, we're in a section right now that we're calling A Kingdom Torn. It's about this time in Israel's history where the kingdom that, that they, God gave them is torn in two. And we're going to look very specifically at chapter 17. I want to call this prayer that rises from the rubble. Because there really is rubble and there really is prayer, both of these things. It's chapter 17 in the story. It's called The Kingdom's Fall. And notice, if you will, that the kingdoms here is plural. It's multiple kingdoms. Both Israel will be gone and Judah, the southern kingdom, will be gone by the end of this story. I'm going to focus this morning on the book of Lamentations. And it's an important book, I think, but I want to give you just a quick sense of structure. This won't be on the test, but you can follow me if you like. In the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters. You don't need to know them. Just remember that number 22. 
in Lamentations chapter 1 has 22 verses. And sure enough, if you look at it in the Hebrew, verse 1 starts with Aleph, verse 2 is Beit, verse 3 is Gimel. It's as if A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's called an acrostic. So chapter 1, 22 verses, letters of the alphabet. Chapter 5, 22 verses, but much more broken up. Chapter 2, 22 verses. Letters of the alphabet. Chapter 4, 22 verses. All the letters of the alphabet, the beginning of each verse. Now, you get to the center. 66 verses. And guess what? Three verses of A, three verses of B, three verses of C. When you look at Lamentations in the original language, you see that there's a thoughtful worked out structure, that there's a direction. This is not something just spit out overnight or sometimes a songwriter will say, the song just wrote itself. No, this looks much more like the inspiration of the Holy Spirit moved through the prayerful reflection of a poet or a prophet. Acrostic, where there's a memory device built in, the letters of the alphabet, it's like When I work with people in cultivating a prayer life, we'll often talk about ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. It's a memory structure for learning to pray. When I help people with Bible meditation, and you've heard me talk before about SOAP, scripture, observation, application, prayer. It's a structured way to learn and to grow in Bible meditation or in prayer. Lamentations has that same structure and sense, and it builds to a key peak that we'll want to see. Now, rather than read the whole book of Lamentations, I'm going to follow the story, and I'm going to read to you, as you see here, several verses from each of these sections. It picks up the, the thread of the narrative, the storyline through the course of this, and you'll get the sense of the whole message of the book, I believe. So follow me, um, I'll read, and the screen will follow as well. It begins this way, verse one, chapter one, verse one. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people, How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, oh, there's no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah, the southern kingdom, has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Now to the center of chapter 2. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. And then right in the center of chapter 3, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, see, he's speaking to his own inner voice. He's taking control. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And then um, to the fifth chapter. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Later in that chapter, joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and Father, thank you for the honesty of the Scripture, that it shows the best and the worst, the darkest, the lightest, the most pressing, the most hopeful, that in the midst of this, we see a mirror for our lives and a calling of hope and grace. Teach us this day in this book. Thank you that in the midst of the rubble of Jerusalem, that you gave lamentations to the church of all ages and of all time. Thank you for the way you've preserved these scrolls, that now we may unroll them and translate them, study, meditate, read, discuss. And in the midst of that, your spirit would guide our hearts and minds to hear and to understand and respond to the gospel of your grace and hope. Guard us from my own brokenness, Father. Make yourself known even through this earthen vessel. Be glorified, Holy Spirit. We love you and trust you and need you. And pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, one thing you've got to say about the Bible, if you read it, is that it has everything. Good kings, bad kings. Heroes, goofballs, inspiring statements, confusing statements. Books like the Song of Solomon. Uh, apparently in ancient Israel, you had to be over 18 to read that one. But you also have the book of Lamentations. The Bible addresses all of life and human experience. This section we've been in, I would summarize with one word, decline. It's been a long time of decline from the division of the kingdom, which is about 930 BC, to now the fall of Jerusalem, about 586, roughly 350 years. There's been some prosperous times, good kings, renewal, but mostly bad times, and over the long haul, decline. At some point, the cascade of consequences of idolatry and unbelief and of sin, the cascade of consequences is like a weight. And there comes with that weight in this moment, 586, the collapse. 
the Babylonians carry off the best of the southern kingdom to exploit for themselves. Collapse. There's so many C words that could fill that blank in your sermon outline. Catastrophe, it's certainly that. Chaos, when a, a nation is overrun like that, that's what ensues. Crisis, how do we find family? How do we keep together? How do we, how do, we do anything? Confusion. This is what it was like for the whole nation of Judah in this point. And it's amazing, with this collapse, God's people very clearly experience suffering and very honestly experience suffering. Now, for many of us in this day and time, we live in a moment of history where in terms of our culture, there's remarkable peace and grace. Oh, it falls apart from time to time. There will be moments where personally we experience a loss or a challenge and we suffer. But life in these United States is not at all like it would have been in Judah when they were carried off to Babylon. That was a whole culture. It was more like the experience in our moment of the citizens of Ukraine. But whether it's a whole culture in collapse and chaos and suffering, or whether it's the unexpected event in your life that brings sadness and brokenness and suffering, the book of Lamentations can speak to this and guide us in this, give us a way to navigate the darkness. Now, traditionally, Lamentations is attributed to the prophet Jeremiah, though it's not stated in the book who the author is. This you could say easily that it clearly expresses the experience of Judah and the community. Jeremiah, in the midst of the fall of Jerusalem, it's rubble. Decline has led to collapse. I believe that God gave this book to his church of all times and of all people, to help us navigate our experience of this suffering. And so, for the people of Ukraine, for Wang Yi in prison in China, for you, when you get that diagnosis in the doctor's office or that phone call that you never expected, perhaps in that moment when you've been cut from the varsity team, or the first time you walk into a middle school lunchroom. However it touches you, life on this planet awaiting Christ, life on this planet will challenge us with moments of suffering. We want to prepare, build habits of heart and mind so that the suffering that life will bring us will not crush us. Reading and meditating through Lamentations can be part of that. I'll mention here a secondary text, spend some time in Lamentations, but if you really want to dig in, I'd also go to Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Pretty descriptive title, don't you think? Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Tim Keller. Marvelous book. Know this though, that there will be times and circumstances in your life that you will experience suffering. In light of that, ask yourself this question, if you would. Where do you take your suffering? Not where could I, not where should I. Just try to get a sense as you face the disruptions and the brokenness of life, where do you take them?
Now in scripture and confirmed by my life, I certainly see this and as I've observed with others, there's three typical responses. The first is to insulate. Those of us with resources can kind of keep much of the suffering of this world at bay. Gated communities can be like that. We'll let the suffering stay out there. We want it peaceful here. One of the joys of my life for the past three years is I get together on the phone and pray with a group of ministers every Tuesday night. Most of them are from Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas. Most are African-American. And as we pray, I realize that many of them minister in situations and circumstances of very different resources and experience than I do here. By praying with them, I've stepped out of the insulated nature of life here in Western Michigan into a different life. I realized one night praying with these brothers and sisters, I was the only pastor who hadn't done a COVID funeral in the past two weeks. See, in some communities in our state, where you have three or four generations in every home, where most folks work hourly jobs and so need to go to work if they're going to get groceries, where many of those hourly jobs don't include hospitalization, and so access to medical care is limited by a number of things. I want to tell you, there was a different experience of COVID among my friends' communities than there was in mine. By being able to step out of the insulation that I'm thankful for, I could begin to pray with them and experience the grace of God in the midst of that. What are ways that you insulate yourself from the brokenness of this world? Oh, I understand wanting to care for one another, but I also want to encourage you to think that sometimes God is calling us across the boundaries. A second way we often deal with suffering is through denial. Tish Warren Harrison writes of her dad, and you get a sense of the family that she grew up in. I've had worse cuts on my lip, and I just kept on whistling. When we got hurt as kids, my dad warmly echoed this refrain, often enough that it became a family joke. My father was actually, who actually hardly ever whistles, has apparently in his distant past suffered untold lip trauma. Extensive bleeding, stitches, even surgery are nothing compared to the horror of my dad's purported lip cuts. Now, someone has it worse, so your problems aren't so bad. That's one way to perhaps gain some perspective but it's also a fairly humorous expression of a way to live in denial. Oh, I'm not hurting. Oh, someone else is hurting worse, so I shouldn't complain. I want to tell you, we need to be honest about the pains that we face and suffer. That's all I'd call you to. A third way of avoiding suffering is to simply give in, to surrender to the sadness when a real experience of pain or suffering becomes a person's entire life or identity, when they take the quagmire or the quicksand of sadness from their past and bring that sorrow unchanged into their future, they're not equipped 
or ready or able to enter into any new thing so tied to the past. They've surrendered to it. This is why we need lamentations in the Bible and in our life. We need guidance and support in learning to navigate the experience of suffering in our life. Without that guidance, we're prone to become bitter, angry, withdrawn, isolated, disappointed. But with that guidance, by God's grace, and please don't hear me saying this is a snap of the fingers, one step, two hour event. Many of you, like me, have been through situations across months, years, walking with God, but seeing him do something I would never know to even ask for. And by God's grace, even that suffering that he did not intend becomes a tool in his hand to make me a better person. Joseph could say, though you meant it for evil, God worked it for good. How does that work, Bill? I'm not sure. I just know it's a promise. Here's another question. Um, When we learn to take our suffering to the Lord in lament, it can have a different impact on us. And so this becomes the question. If prayer were a toolbox, and I'll want to stop here because I'm running a risk by using the metaphor of tools whenever we talk about prayer. Prayer in Scripture is never a transactional activity. I pray, that's what I do to get what I want. We talked about that last week. If you think that I can train you in a way to pray so you get what you want, you're in the wrong church. We believe the Bible. Prayer was never meant to be transactional. It's relational. It brings you into relationship with the living God, with Jesus, who is God the Son, with the Holy Spirit. And in that relationship, he leads, he guides, he encourages, he convicts, he shapes us. A relational sort of relationship lets the outside operate on us. A transactional relationship just says, I want to use outside things for me. Marriage is meant to be like that. Marriage is not meant to, by God at least, to be a transactional. I do this for you, sweetheart, in order to get that from you. Now, some marriages degenerate to that level, but God himself did not create marriage to function like that, like a transaction. It's relational. It's worked out with two people as God in the mystery of his grace makes them one. There may be a division of labor. You cook, I'll clean. You work that out. There may be a shared experience as you travel together. There may be conversation that leads to insight or conviction. There can be encouragement to change or to persevere. But in that relationship, the give and take, there's a shaping of each of us by one outside of us. Prayer is meant to change us to some degree because the influence from someone outside the Lord should happen to me. So back to the metaphor, if prayer were a toolbox, how many tools do you have in there? How many tools do you know and use? Are you practiced and capable? I already mentioned ACTS, prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of supplication. How about prayers of lament? How about prayers of spiritual warfare? How about prayers of listening? 
See, so often I'm afraid we go through life with a simple prayer that only expresses who we are. We don't pray the prayers that shape us. I've included in the sermon outline a couple of resources, and these are resources that have shaped me, that I've gone to and experienced change by the grace of God in my life. Let me tell you about the Andrew Murray. Some of you know that I did my doctoral work on Andrew Murray wrote a biography of him, a 19th century South African missionary and pastor. And when I was a student, I discovered, I observed one day and made the connection that every person I respected as a Christian leader, when they talked about prayer, they said, yes, when I read Andrew Murray's With Christ in the School of Prayer, it changed my prayer life. I saw that with Billy Graham, I saw it with Francis Schaeffer, I heard it from Miss Putsy Watkins, an intercessor in our life, from Elizabeth Elliot. The people that I saw with fruitful prayer lives would go to that book. So, what did I do? I went and got me a copy of With Christ in the School of Prayer. And it was a brick. So I put it on the bookshelf a few years later, pulled it off, and you know, I got into it because I was just starting pastoral ministry, and it was a brick. Three times I went to that book, said, Lord, teach me to pray. You've taught these other folks to pray. It was a brick. And then you remember the Blossman's little uh, beach cabin in, in, on the Gulf Coast? We went there, Mary Lynn, and uh, we had Nicole and Rachel at that time had gone off to bed, and I took that book for a first, fourth time. And suddenly my heart was ready and it began to shape my life. It wasn't me going to a book to find what I wanted. It was that book being used by God to shape me. Friends, press in. Press in. Find, let 2023 be a year where in December you say, you know, God has taught me something about prayer in a new way. See, I can't determine that. I can encourage you. I can pray for you. I can point to it. But I know that it will be a work of God in your life, in our life together. Because you see, we pray together, friends. Do you recognize in the uh, Lord's Prayer, we say, our Father? Prayer should be the exercise of God's people. That's how Jesus taught it. And so it is, we can shape our hearts, prepare, gather tools to have words praying and suffering. I'll touch just real quickly some things, some encouragement for doing this. The first thing you'll need to do if you want to find words in prayer is to be honest, but move forward. Be honest about where you're suffering, about the questions you have, about the wondering. When you read through Lamentations, it's almost disturbing to see how honest the writer is. You've turned away from us, Lord. There's this sense that the God who crushed the Canaanites is now turning on them. How could that be? Ask those questions, but move forward. You see, we need to be honest because honesty gets us to a right diagnosis. You see, sometimes we are suffering because of the consequences of my sin. If you find yourself sad or lonely or dejected, pressed, and you pray through and begin to realize it's a consequence of your sin, where do you begin in responding to that? And if you said, change the behavior, 
I want to tell you, wrong answer. I'd still love you. But you begin by dealing with your sin through repentance. That's what I learned from Andrew Murray, that prayerlessness in my life was actually a heart that was depending on itself, and I needed to repent of that. If it's rooted in the consequences of my brokenness, I need to start with repentance. If it's the results of other sin, because, you know, sometimes people do something and it influences us. It affects us. Nobody in Ukraine woke up and said, we want to be on the receiving end of a war from Vladimir Putin. So sometimes we suffer and we need to be able to distinguish what's ours, what's visited upon us. Sometimes we need to start praying for our enemies. It'll change your life if you pray for the people who are at the root of your suffering. It may not stop there. You may need to have a conversation. You may need to distance yourself in a relationship. But you see, until you're honest, it will be hard to move forward. You've got to be honest to get a right diagnosis. I encourage you in those seasons of suffering where it is so hard to be carried by the eye of others and their prayers. Learn to pray from and with other people. Again, a book that's been very helpful to me in this uh, of late is Tish Harrison Warren, Prayer in the Night, an Episcopal priest, former InterVarsity campus worker, a deep sense of facing her own suffering. Listen to some things she says in this book. Prayer often precedes belief. We think of prayer as mostly self-expressive. In this way of thinking, we begin with belief and feeling about God, things that are inside us, and because of these, we learn to pray. Our prayers put words to our inner life, but prayer actually shapes our inner life from outside. If we pray the prayers that we have been given, regardless of how we feel about them or about God at that time, we sometimes find, to our surprise, that they teach us how to believe. Why do I pray with Scotty Smith by his prayer emails every morning? So that Scotty's grasp of the gospel can help shape me. This is especially the case in times of suffering, she writes. When loss is acute, we often struggle to believe. Trusting God feels like a steep climb. We are weary and our legs are shaky. Have you ever felt that way in prayer? Boy, your pastor has. But when in times of deep pain in my own life, she writes, the belief of the church has carried me. Belief is not a feeling inside of us, but a reality outside of us. That's the God who is there and who has spoken. We enter into that, and when we find our faith faltering, sometimes all we can do is fall on the faith of others. We believe together. Thank God belief is not left to only me and my ever-fluctuating faithfulness. Some days I show up at church with my doubt and suffering, and I'm kind of counting on you to sing for me. Do you see how life together can carry the suffering? My joy lifts you. Your joy carries me. Life together. This is God at work. As we learn to be shaped in prayer, we can 
pass that baton and pray for others. I pray that God might bring us to deeper, more transparent relationships, to honest prayer within that. And I hope you'll remember this closing thought. The writer of the book of Lamentations did not get to chapter three, great is thy faithfulness, without first working through chapter one and two. As I read the scripture this morning, you probably had come to mind the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. That's taken right out of the book of Lamentations. You're singing the scriptures when you sing that. And how wonderful it is to think about running right to Lamentations chapter 3, but ignoring or insulating chapters 1 and 2. I want to tell you, there are things that happen And if you need to walk with God through chapter 1 and 2, know that there is a chapter 3, all right? There is a chapter 3 that he will bring you to. The writer didn't get to that until going through this. Whatever you're suffering, God is still God, and he will work to bring good things. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your kindness. Give us the same gentleness of your Holy Spirit that we might love those who suffer, including ourselves, that there would not be an inner voice of condemnation or inadequacy. Thank you that in your grace you've called us to walk together, to uh, stick with each other through thick and thin, to welcome others with their moment into relationship. And in this, in amazing ways, time and again, we find your grace and your presence. Father, I pray this day that your work might give celebration of a tenderness and humility and faith that would be an inviting carrying for those who struggle. That in due season, by your grace and your work, they too might be renewed as every morning mercies in your grace and carry others. Father, give us this great vision of you at work through Jesus, our Lord, and our hope. For we make our prayer in his name and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. I want to sing the hymn as we close, number 348, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And we'll sing that great promise of uh, Lamentations 3. But know if you're in a Lamentations chapter 1 or chapter 2 moment, that promise is yet ahead of you, and we'll walk together to get there. You can't get to this, Lamentations 3, without crossing Lamentations 1 and 2. To get to Easter morning, you might start at Palm Sunday, but you've got to pass through Good Friday. Let's do that together. We stand and sing.
His promises are good. They're our hope in a hard season. Hear this blessing and benediction from the book of Ephesians. This is Paul speaking to his church. Let it be God's voice for you this day. And now to him, the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen and amen.